Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. It is Mother Miriam, and I am alive, and this is Mother Miriam Live, and I'm so, so thrilled to be with you. You know, yesterday, just a sweet little gift uh, this morning that I received, I I ran through the things that had been uh, attacking me in the last week and a half, which is why we've had to run so many encores. I I, I think in the order they came was a strep throat, and then two broken ribs, and then a broken tooth, and then a stomach virus. And I was back yesterday. Am I 100%? No. But am I healing? Yes. Am I terrific and happy to be here with you? Yes, 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 yes. But there was a gentleman in Dallas who I don't know, but I came into Monica's house this morning, this beautiful little home where I do the radio program, and uh, she said there's a gentleman from Dallas who was listening to the program yesterday and called a friend of his in Tyler, where we are, Tyler, Texas, um, to bring some pain medicine over to me. So when I came here, I don't know the gentleman's name and I don't know uh, the friend of Monica's name, but Monica gave me um, two um, remedies that her friend had brought over thanks to the gentleman in Dallas. So. I just want to hug you both and all of you who pray. It's so, such an encouragement to me. So beautiful. So beautiful. And even the friend brought over a little bottle of turmeric with um, a little uh, Christmas ribbon on top. (laughs) So, so, so sweet. We're such a beautiful family, beloved. The family of God. And how I wish the world could know that. And as I said yesterday, and as I often say, the world would know that if we lived our faith as if it were true. If we lived our faith as if it were true, we would be like the Israelites, a peculiar people in the midst of a pagan world. And we would live differently. Our laws, our food, our behavior, our holy days, everything would be so different that they'd look at us and say, what is it? What makes you so different? And we could lead them to the true God and to the church he established on earth. And yesterday at the end of the program, um, I said that today I would read you a story, one of the most beautiful I've ever read, Um, and it's the story of a family who, who not just has lived this faith, but who lives it, and whose children and grandchildren are as Catholic as they were growing up that the faith has really been passed on to the children. And that man is Michael Matt. He's the head of, uh, president of um, Remnant TV um, and his uh, Remnant newspaper, I think, is the oldest Catholic newspaper in the country, if not the world. Um, And he comes from, I think, I may get some of this wrong, I didn't look up his biography, but three generations of um, family in in publishing. So Remnant newspaper, you can get it online, you can get it in the mail, I believe. Um, Remnant TV, you can go online and subscribe to it. Um, but Michael Matt, he is a true, 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 true Catholic. 
And I, I've told the story also when I first was looking into the church, how I would spy on Catholics. Why are they Catholics? Why are they in that church? This, I didn't go there for fellowship. Well, why are they in there? And one morning at 7 o'clock in a dark church, I spied on the people in there, a father and daughter, just kneeling and praying, and a woman who I'm guessing was in her 70s, uh, European uh, body looked as hard as a rock from work, all of that, and she was behind, um, going uh, in between the pews. I now know she was praying at the Station of the Cross, but I had no idea what she was praying at that time. But there she went from one station to another, making the sign of the cross, and her lips were moving with whatever her prayers were, that she would genuflect and she would move on to the next station. And again, I didn't know then what the Stations of the Cross were or what she was praying, but I knew then that I might never be as Catholic as she. I might be able to swim circles around her in apologetics, in in knowing Bible verses, in having a defense, a verbal defense for my faith. But this woman was Catholic inside. And it's I feel the same with Michael Matt. Hold on, please. Um, there are many, many wonderful Catholics I've met, truly, truly wonderful Catholics, very committed, ready to die for their faith and live for their faith. I don't think we could live for a faith that we would not die for. I don't, I don't believe we could fully live for it if we're not ready to die for it. Um, nobody wants to die for our faith, but um, I think unless we would die for it, we're never going to live for it. We'll just kind of be lukewarm. Um, but Michael Matt is one of those um, true men of God, uh, true, I think he has seven children, uh, seven or eight, and um, he uh, runs the uh, Catholic Identity Conference every year, and uh, I recommend anything he does. So uh, five years ago, he wrote an article uh, titled Waiting for the... Christkind, the Christ child, the Christkind, and I may not even be pronouncing it right, but I read it for the first time maybe three years ago, and I was so taken with the the beauty of it, the reality of the Catholic faith lived, that I've been reading it every year. So if you've been listening, you may have already heard it before. I've had it in at least two of our newsletters with Michael's permission. Um, And it is the story of how his father kept the the Christmas traditions, which Michael has subsequently kept for his children, and his children are keeping it for his children, for their children. Um, It's extremely beautiful for me. So I could go into Catholic homes... And you can also, and there are Catholic decorations, and they may pray, they may do a number of things. But what I read here is like that woman praying the Stations of the Cross in a dark church at 7 in the morning when the Mass was not until 8. It really captured my heart with such a beauty and depth of the faith. that all I all I wanted was to be Catholic, but I had to know it was true first. So it was it was a while longer before I could enter the church. 
but uh, before I came to believe it was the church, in fact. So I'm going to read that story today, dear ones. You can find it online. And in fact, I love it so much because it's an illustration of a Christmas you would celebrate or we as a people of God might celebrate if we truly live the faith, if we truly lived according to our Catholic faith and celebrated according to our Catholic faith. Um, so I'm going to begin to read this. And it's from the Remnant newspaper. Um, and Michael says, he starts by with an editor's note that each year around Christmas time we post this short personal Christmas reflection, um, which offers an alternative costume to the celebration of the great feast. So let me read that to you. Um, it's totally, thoroughly Catholic. Um, and so he says, hold on now, um, this will be the fourth Christmas since my father passed away. Well, he wrote this in 2017, so now it's about nine years since Michael's father passed away. Um, and he says, I suppose everyone misses deceased family members most this time of year. I know I do. My father loved Christmas. I sometimes wonder, in fact, what impact his larger-than-life celebrations of the birth of Christ had on the faith of his nine children, each of whom continues to practice the old faith to this day. He believed that just as Advent, the mini-Lent, was to be kept well with plenty of spiritual and corporal works of mercy, so too should Christmas be feted with all the merrymaking and gusto a Catholic family can muster. He knew, so Michael is saying his father knew, that children are not born theologians who can grasp the intricacies of the great mysteries of faith at an early age. The faith needed to be lovingly spoon-fed to them, and so the childlike customs of Christmas were for him, for Michael Matt's dad, tailor-made to instill love for the faith before children were old enough to even begin to understand it. I can second that growing up in my Jewish home. We didn't understand everything we did, but we loved it. It gave us a sense of identity. We knew we were God's people, and that meant everything. Michael continues, um, What a shame it is, then, to see well-meaning traditional Catholic parents discarding those customs altogether in a misguided effort to counter the commercialization of Christmas. No gift-giving, no merrymaking, no feasting on Christmas. Alas, the baby is being thrown out with the bathwater. That's a sad, sad situation, beloved. We'll be right back after the break. And feel free to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. This is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. The Catholic Church teaches that when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, we join the prayer of Christ Himself. It is the perfect sacrifice of praise that extends every Eucharistic celebration into the hours of the day to sanctify time in the whole range of human activity. To learn more, please visit us or go to liturgyofthehours.org. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your early host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern for a unique episode. We'll start with Raymond Arroyo in his latest Christmas children's book, then on to Eric Sammons and The Jesse Tree, an Advent tradition for the whole family, concluding with Advent reflections written by a Jesuit before he died in a Nazi prison. Join us on The Catholic Current on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are... Um, Oh, maybe a third of the way through the story written by Michael Matt, um, the uh, head of and host of Remnant TV uh, podcasts. And you can subscribe to Remnant TV and Remnant newspaper. I get Michael's emails every day and um, a very, very faithful Catholic and sober, sane, sound, um, traditional Catholic. I said yesterday... There's no such thing as an untraditional Catholic. I didn't say it quite that way. But the faith that is 2,000 years old is traditional, uh, has a tradition to it. And so if you're not traditional, you're not Catholic. If you're Catholic, then you're traditional. If the faith wants to live it to the saints. If I don't continue reading this article, we'll never get through it. It's simply the demonstration of a family that really, really lives the faith and that has been passed on uh, within that family from generation to generation. Uh, Michael continues, in a dreary world where pessimism and cynicism, rather than righteousness and peace, have kissed each other, we must guard against robbing our children of the wonder and joy of Christmas, the seedbed for a child's faith. Our poor children may live long enough to see Christmas outlawed altogether in our brave new world, 
and Michael wrote this five years ago, even as it was once before by the pilgrims who invented Thanksgiving out of contempt for the quote-unquote popish feast of Christmas. Anti-Catholics have long sought to destroy our great feast, which is why we must be certain that in our eagerness to oppose the commercialization of Christmas, we do not become puritanical agents working toward the same diabolical end. Many Catholics oppose the custom of Santa Claus that somehow that somewhat off-putting caricature of the great St. Nicholas. Admittedly, the red suit, the corpulent figure, and the stocking cap barely strikingly slit, uh, bear strikingly slim resemblance to the 4th century Bishop of Myra, and the flying sleigh and reindeer are more reminiscent of pagan myth than Christian truth. But few have thought to provide a good alternative to the jolly old elf, so I'd like to offer one now by reintroducing readers to the old Catholic Christmas custom that the Germans called Christkind, C-R-I-S-T-K-I-N-D, Christkind, or Christ Child, and that American children of European immigrants would call simply the baby Jesus. Here is what I remember. And Michael says, it all began in Advent when my seven sisters and brother were expected to prepare for the coming of Christkind, pronounced as Christkind. It ends with a D, but it's pronounced with a T, Christkind. Under mother's watchful eye, we'd fashion a small makeshift manger that would remain unoccupied until Christmas Day. As Advent progressed, Good deeds were encouraged on a daily basis, and each time it was determined that a good deed had been done, one piece of straw was placed in the empty manger. The idea being that Advent was a time to prepare a bed on which the baby Jesus could sleep when he arrived. Under the rules of the old custom, the practice of virtue was an essential part of a child's preparation for Christmas. Each night after supper, oh, this is so beautiful, beloved, so beautiful. Each night after supper, the lights would be turned down while Advent wreath candles were lit. The haunting strains of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel would be lifted somewhat awkwardly, I suppose, Michael says, on the voices of children. Shadows and flickering flames played on faces across the dining room table, making it easy for a child to imagine that he sat with the Israelites of old, waiting for the Messiah to come. As the four, you know, that impressed me because most children don't even know the, the origins of Advent or the Israelites waiting for the Messiah to come. As the four weeks of Advent passed, seemingly as slowly as those 4,000 years, one question became constant. Have my sacrifices been enough to please Christkind? And thus, the weeks of Advent were spent in preparation and waiting as they should be. Gradually, the empty manger would fill with straw as the stage was being set for a celestial visitor. On the evening of December 23rd, 
my father would hang a curtain over the doorway of our living room, which, if that straw was piled high enough, was to be transformed into the the Christmas room by the baby Jesus himself in the middle of the night. Then it was off to sleep, a seemingly impossible project, a seemingly impossible prospect. The Christmas Eve mornings, I remember, are marked by a combination of joy and wonder. Children still in their jammies could scarcely whisper the words to a curiously exhausted mother. Did he come? Did he come? All day long, we weren't allowed to go near the curtain, lest one of us should succumb to the temptation to peek, which would be to risk the instant disappearance of whatever Christkind may have brought. A lifetime of self-discipline was taught between dawn and dusk on Christmas Eve. After a day of chores, naps, and helping with the house cleaning, the anticipated hour of 7 o'clock would finally arrive. We'd gather in the back room and sing Christmas carols in candlelight as our mother would read aloud the story that always began the same way. And it came about, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Excuse me. I'm on some pain medication. I think it's making me fall asleep. Michael continues, We listened as Father disappeared into the Christmas room to take down the curtain and see to the final arrangements for the holy ritual. Only he was worthy to take over for Christkind. The wait seemed interminable. Then, all at once, his voice would call out from the darkness, Come, children! Christkind has come! Breathlessly, we'd make our candlelit procession from the back room to the living room, singing the words of the old German carol as we went. Um, oh my goodness, I, I won't pronounce it in German. Ihr Kinderlein kommet, o kommet dach all, sir Kripte ker kommet in Bethlehem stall. So it's the, the Kinder Christkind come, um, uh, come all. Uh, he's in Bethlehem stall. I can't quite translate that. He says, we gather around my father, who now was kneeling in front of the nativity scene. We would do our best not to crane our necks and look at the darkened Christmas tree or whatever might be lagging beneath it. Do you hear that, dear ones? Darkened Christmas tree. Why was it so dark? Because the Christkind hadn't come yet. The light of the world hadn't yet come. Um, we would do our best not to crane our necks and look. Um, um, well, yes, he has come, but the tree hadn't been lit yet. We gather around my father, who now was kneeling in front of the nativity scene, and we would do our best not to crane our necks and look at the darkened Christmas tree or whatever might be lying beneath it. Each child placed a crib figure into the creche, and the youngest put the baby in his manger. Then prayers were said. Christmas carols were quietly sung. Deceased family members were remembered, 
and Father spoke out of the marvelous thing that had happened long ago. Let me reread that. Then prayers were said, Christmas carols were quietly sung, deceased family were remembered, and Father spoke of the marvelous thing that had happened long ago at midnight in Bethlehem in piercing cold. We're not going to be able to finish this today, beloved. Michael writes, I can still see the cast of Bethlehem bathed in a warm, peaceful glow, seeming as real to me as if I were a shepherd boy looking down from that hillside over Bethlehem. I could hear my father and mother's hushed voices as they prayed and sang to the same royal baby that shepherds and angels had adored centuries ago. That sacred moment was like a porthole in time, where traveling back to the city of David then seemed not only possible to a child, but imminent. Oh dear, I wish I could continue this. Our break is coming up in just a minute. I feel like I'm sounding drugged, just because I'm, 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 I'm a bit falling asleep from the medication I'm on. I'm so, so sorry. This is so gorgeous. I'm going to reprint it again in our Christmas newsletter. And so if you, you've heard it before, you have it, you will have it in your hands if you're on our news mail, newsletter mailing list. And if you're not, it's free. We don't charge anything. And I mentioned yesterday, this is going to be probably about 30 pages. It's going to be our largest newsletter in history, uh, probably past, present, and future. Um, because it's going to be a very special newsletter. I want to break through all the confusion of doctrine our day and say what it is a Catholic not just should believe, but must believe, and not just how he should live out his faith, but how he must live out his faith. So you're not going to be dependent on uh, priests or bishops or cardinals or anyone else who go astray. This is not my opinion. It's nobody's opinion. This is the doctrinal, uh, the faith from the Council of Trent, which is dogma. It cannot be changed. Discipline of how we live out our faith can be changed. But if it is changed in a way that no longer squares with the dogma, then it's false. So we need to know our faith in order to know how to pray and how to live it. And that's what this newsletter is going to do, cut through all of that to give you the faith and how we can live it together as the remnant. Um, Not just Michael Max's remnant, but the remnant, um, which God said he will always have. He had it through Israel. He kept the remnant for himself. And he has it now through the new Israel of God, the church. He has a remnant for himself. Beloved, if you're Catholic, if you grew up Catholic and fell away, if you're not Catholic, come home to the church that God founded on earth come home for Christmas. I tell you what, tomorrow we're going to have a Black Friday sale. We're going to give Christmas away for free. We're going to give you the opportunity to give, to receive, free, 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 all of life, all of eternity, and the one who loved you and gave his life for you. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We'll have a half hour all to ourselves.
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 1st. Today we celebrate Blessed Charles de Foucauld. Born into an aristocratic French family in 1858, Charles was orphaned at six and raised by his devout grandfather. As a teen, Charles rejected Catholicism and joined the army. He was sent to Algeria with his regiment where he resigned his commission. Inspired by the Jews and Muslims he met in Africa, Charles resumed the practice of his faith upon returning to France in 1886. He first joined a Trappist monastery, transferred to one in Syria, and eventually left there to serve as gardener and sacristan for a poor Clare monastery in Nazareth. In 1901, Charles went back to France and was ordained a priest. Returning to North Africa, Charles was invited by a former army comrade to live among the Tuareg people in Algeria. He learned their language well enough to compose a Tuareg French dictionary, write poetry, and translate the Gospels into Tuareg. The outbreak of World War I led to attacks on the French in Algeria. When the settlement where he lived was seized in a raid, Charles and two French soldiers visiting him were shot to death on December 1, 1916. Charles was beatified in 2005. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and I, the rest of the Mass I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, and the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, suggestions for Christmas, for Advent, questions of how to live out the season, or having nothing to do with the season, anything on your heart. And the toll-free number, 1-877-511-5483. Uh, text it that number as well, uh, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, we have an email from Ruth. Um, Ruth writes, "Hello, Mother. Um, thank you for the work you do and for answering my question. I have learned so much from your show, and I feel as if I'm finally learning my faith." Oh, thank you, Ruth. Uh, Ruth, and I bless God for all that He does to encourage and help us through one another. Ruth writes, My question today is about the morality of dance. I have been swing dancing and ballroom dancing for several years now, and it is something that I enjoy. I know that many ways of dancing are wrong, promiscuous, or immodest, such as most dancing at proms or youth parties but I am now questioning swing and ballroom dancing as well. St. John Vianney, as well as other 
um, saints have condemned dancing completely. But from my research, it seems like dancing in his time involved much more um, immorality and sinfulness than today, as it was a sort of hookup culture involved after the dances, which to my knowledge does not occur at the church-sponsored swing dances I attend. Church-sponsored swing dances, wow. She uh, writes, uh, another thing to consider is the response of men in temptation toward lust when physical contact is involved. I wish to be sensitive toward my brothers in Christ and never to lead them toward sin. But where is the line? Is all dancing wrong? Am I sinning if I dance? Is it better to just avoid all dancing to be safe? Or am I worried over nothing? Um, I'm currently avoiding swing dancing, even though it is something my friends and I always went to together, but looking ahead to weddings and such, should I refuse to dance at such events? Thank you, Mother, for your time and your wisdom. I hope the Holy Spirit uses you to give me some peace. God bless, Ruth. I tell you what, Ruth, um, prior to my Christianity, uh, even as a Protestant, I taught Latin American and ballroom dancing. <laughs> I did Hebrew dancing. We danced at home. I loved dancing. I loved music. Um, um, and I never really considered your question before. But now that you're asking it, I think there are absolutely adjustments that need to be made. Um, I don't think that this is going to seem incredibly extreme, and I'm saying and thinking it for the first time. But a man's hands should not be on a woman who's not his wife. And a woman's hands should not be on a man who's not her husband. So yes, um, uh, there should not be dancing. There could be, uh, let's just say, folk dancing um, of a sort, if it's cultural, uh, that might be acceptable for, a, for an entire group if it's cultural, um, to take part in that sort of thing, uh, possibly depending upon what it is. Um, but um, I would not advocate dancing anymore. It, it's an amazing thing. You could go to square dances, uh, to um, other uh, cultural group dances perhaps, certainly dancing with your husband, um, uh, or learning dances, teaching children to dance, uh, that's okay. But another important thing, if you go to a dance, you should not be dancing with another girl, as young people do. Girls come together in school and dance with each other. They should not do that any more than boys with boys. Um, and the, the dancing should be extremely, the dress should be very modest. So girls' dresses always below the knees. Uh, I would like them no shorter than mid-calf. Nothing sleeveless, nothing tight, everything modest. And so I'd say, uh, what kind of dances would, would I approve of? Uh, of a school doing a dance and getting together, you know, 50 people in a gym doing a uh, cultural um, Polish dance or Hebrew dance or, or, or something that would be cultural, that would be everybody doing it, not just a man and a woman. So 
I don't know if that would help. Um, I'd have to look into it myself. But again, the the dancing uh, needs to be needs to be modest. Um, uh, we have a call from our friend Kurt in Boston. Hello, Kurt. How are you, Mother Mary? I'm um, I'm good, think, sweetheart. How are you? Well, fighting a good fight as best as I can. Well, um, you you did I a good job it. at the men's march, Kurt. <laughs> trying, trying. Yeah, no, you're doing um, a good job, and I bless Station of the Cross for their coverage of it as well. Yeah, and oh, me and me as well. I, it's, um, but what I want to get at is I was watching a YouTube video with uh, John Henry Newman interviewing Father Muir on on Freemasonry, and the reason I bring it up is because everything Catholic is in a world right now that's dominated by naturalism, which is basically Freemasonry and putting ourselves as God and just going by our passion. So when we introduce Christianity, especially the Catholic Church, okay, people look at you like you're crazy. They don't realize they've been indoctrinated for at least a hundred or so years mm-hmm. into Freemasonry. Thanks. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Kurt. Well, you're right. Someone who's in Freemasonry, and I know many Catholics who are, um, they have no clue. They go to church on Sunday, men, and they have no clue that it's a satanic cult, but it is. Right. And what I also would like to say is before my conversion, you know, I found out I had Freemasons as grandparents. So therefore, you know, Okay, and you know, I came in a Protestant family. I had no faith. So if a dummy like me can can learn the faith and somehow come across people like Michael J. Matt, yourself, and all these people who hold to the traditions of the church, because when I came into the church, I was Episcopalian. So basically, the form of the new mass is what I had, and I'm going, okay, what's the what's the problem here? There isn't a priest in my old heresy, okay? But in my in the church of the faith, right. there's Same a priest here. consecrating. So so what I'm getting at is, sorry about that. Is that um, are you driving, Kurt? In about, I'm sorry, but are you I, driving? I what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Are you driving? No, 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 no. I just a uh, train actually just went okay, by. Okay, no I'm problem. Go outside. ahead, sweetheart. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so basically, what I'm saying is we have to understand what changed in the '60s. Okay, even though both rights are valid, we're in a Protestant atmosphere, and it's to, and even it's though to what is valid, Kurt. I mean, both rights are valid, of course. Oh, yes. Okay, sure. That's right. right. But, what I'm, but what I'm getting at is it's like any school. The, if the discipline is lax, you're not going to learn what the validity is. That's because right. As our, as our Lord said, blessed are they who believe and don't see. And the only way to do that is through discipline. So I guess, like, I, I joined a couple men's groups. So I, I say, listen, we have to stop because, of course, this is the year of the Eucharist. I says, look. We're promoting the Eucharist, but yet we're letting politicians receive the Blessed Sacrament in a state of mortal sin. We have to come under the understanding this is a spiritual combat. People are going to be judged on what they believe. So all I'm saying is, 
even in my crude form, I try to promote the faith straight, meaning if I get into... I, I think, much, Kurt, um, I think I, I often interrupt you because you know that we have to get on to other yes, uh, I do. Yes. people, but you are, I, I bless God for you, Kurt, you are making up for your Freemason grandparents. Um, and if anyone wants to know about Freemasonry, uh, clearly it's completely incompatible with Catholicism. It's, it's uh, of the enemy, it's of the devil, it is not of God. And just go to Catholic.com and type in Freemasonry and you'll get all the information you need. And one thing I'll close with, Mother Miriam, is this. When you look at what Bella Daw did, and Father Muir brings this out, it was infiltrated into the church to do exactly that's right. that. That's and right. That's where I believe that's where we're at. That's the move the world is making now because they've dumbed us down to our own senses and even in the church. So I well, try we to need, show, you know. You're 100% right, Kurt, and we need to okay. be undumbed. We need to wake up as Michael Matt. Uh, often says, and, and, and others often say, we need to wake up, we need to know our faith, we need not, to not be victims or dumb sheep anymore. We need to be responsible to know and live our faith. Yes. All right, my sweet. Kurt, thanks for calling in. I apologize for always cutting you off, but I know that you would talk the whole hour if I let you because your heart is so full of love for God. And um, I bless God for your faith, Kurt. Keep on, keep on, my brother, keep on. We have an email from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I've recently found your program and I appreciate your gentle truth. Oh, Blessed be God. Some people don't think I'm so gentle. Although the truth is hard to hear at times, it has been exactly what I need. My coworker regularly burns sage in her office and at times walks through the building with the burning sage bundle. We work for a company that is in the medical field and we've been struggling to advance in the local marketplace since it's an its inception six years ago. We cannot understand why this is. The service we offer is easy to participate in and saves lives. However, we face daily opposition from both internal and external sources. It has recently occurred to me that perhaps her practice of burning sage may be having a negative effect on the business. Do you think this could be the case? If so, is there something that I could do to reverse these negative effects? Thank you for taking my question. Take care and God bless you, Mother. Thank you, dear one. Um, I don't know that. I mean, as far as I know, sage is a uh, it's an herb that we use in cooking. I don't know anything demonic about it. Um, if she's using it... Uh, uh, as uh, not just to freshen the air, hopefully none of the other workers disagree with that because she would have no right to impose that on anybody. If she's using it as a form of communication with another world or any world, then I would say uh, that could be a real problem for sure because we shouldn't be trying to communicate with anyone from any other world or spirits. So you might ask her why she walks through the office burning sage and get that clarity from her. 
um, we have a text from someone who writes it anonymously also and says, Hello, Mother, please help me by answering this question. Uh-oh. There's the music, beloved, for our final break. So I will return and uh, answer this um, this email and other emails and calls. It'll be our last segment, beloved. I'm going to stay awake. It's okay. <laughs> um, uh, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. We'll have 10 minutes when we come back. Plenty of time. Our lines are wide open. And the toll-free number to call or text is one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That verse shattered me. I stopped everyone on the street, Jim. I said, excuse me, you know there's a God. You know you can know Him. I wanted a ladder tall enough to reach the moon to tell the world that there's a Savior. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern for a unique episode. We'll start with Raymond Arroyo in his latest Christmas children's book, then on to Eric Sammons and The Jesse Tree, an Advent tradition for the whole family, concluding with Advent reflections written by a Jesuit before he died in a Nazi prison. Join us on The Catholic Current on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes, and our lines are wide open. If there's anything on your heart, there's time for you to call in if you wish, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. You can text at that number or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, 
And let me see. You know, I'm about to read an e- uh, the email we, we began with, but I, I keep forgetting to announce this. Um, a month or so ago, I announced that we're looking to hire two people. Um, uh, an assistant for me and someone with good bookkeeping and, and organizational skills. Um, we've we've uh, looked into every our needs, and we really just need one full time person. Um, but that person needs to work from our priory in in uh, Tyler, Texas. So we're a priory, a convent, so to speak, of religious women. Um, which is why we would need a woman uh, to be with us in that priory. And so it's not a job that um, if you're local, you can, as long as you could work in the priory, you could probably do half the job at home if you wish to on your own computer at home. But it's it's not a job that can be done from a distance. You you must be able to be in the office. So um, I'm looking for someone who is administrative assistant, but really an administrator, someone who could almost run a company, uh, who's good with finances, bookkeeping, and um, we have an accountant, so you don't have to be a professional, but detail-oriented and handle our contact uh, database and uh, assist me in many, many things. So uh, good with people, good on computer, mature. The age is not an issue, but you must be very mature um, and be able to truly function on your own. So um, give me a holler. Um, you can email me, mail, M-A-I-L, mail at motherofisraelshope.org and let me know something about you, uh, your age, your health, your skills, your background. And um, uh, and again, if you're not in the Tyler area, you need to be willing to relocate to Tyler um, in order to um, to really be with us, so okay, and salary, who knows whatever you need we'll we'll work that one out. okay, we have a text um, from we began just before the break let me let me read it uh, a little more quickly from someone who writes it anonymously and says, "Hello, mother, please help me by answering this question i'm seventy six years old and have wanted to return to the traditional Latin mass." I found one and was told I am not going to the right one because it is SSPX and not FSSP. For those who don't know those initials, uh, SSPX is the Society of St. Pius X. FSSP is the Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter. Um, And she says, I'm so confused and worried. I think it's a she. I thought the TLM, the traditional Latin mass, was the same as it was when I was young. It is the same. It cannot change. It is the same. Um, But that doesn't mean that everyone that celebrates it is licit or valid. Just as the Novus Ordo is valid, but not everybody who celebrates it is valid if they're doing something wrong. She said, I'm so confused and worried. I thought it was the same. I attended 12 years of Catholic school and was raised in a Catholic home, though extremely dysfunctional. I only knew the Latin Mass until Novus Ordo, but want to return. What should I do? Is the SSPX, the Society of of Pius X, wrong? I'm not well mentally suffering my entire life from PTSD, from 
abuse both as a child and as an adult at the hand of an abusive alcoholic. Please help me grow closer to Jesus. Thank you. Well, my dear sister, to begin with, I'm so very sorry for all that you've suffered. And in the, in the um, very few minutes we have left, um, I just want to tell you what I keep in mind uh, when there is great suffering, that even though um, God may not have ordained something like that, yet he allowed it. Nothing touches us that God doesn't allow. And in his love, he works all things together for good. So whatever the suffering was, the abuse you suffered, God is not the author of evil, but he allows it and works it together for good to those who know and who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans chapter 8. Um, the SSPX, dearest, is uh, not in communion with the church. There are many people that disagree with that. Um, I have no power, no authority, no um, education. I'm not a canon lawyer. I have nothing on which to make a decision myself. I turn to um, men, outstanding men of the church, like Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke, who headed the Apostolic Signatura, a uh, top canon lawyer of the church, um, to um, Father, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, part of the papal posse on Raymond Arroyo, Gerald Murray, Father Gerald Murray, who's an outstanding holy man of God and one of the top canon lawyers of the church. And both those good men, both those good priests, one a cardinal, say that the SSPX is not in full communion with the church. Other good men say that she is, uh, that the FS, that I'm sorry, that the SSPX um, is, is, is in communion. But those two say it is not, and I, I just would sh- shake, a shiver to go against them because how could I, I can't pit myself against good cat and lawyer, lawyers and holy priests. So if they say the SSPX is not in full communion, and the Vatican has said the same, um, then I can't tell you they are. So it would not be good for you to choose an SSPX church um, as the main, your main church. I would say, dearest, try to find a fraternity of the Society of St. Peter in your area. Try to find that. Um, if you go to an SSPX, it's valid. Their sacrament is valid. Uh, you will be having a valid Eucharist. But if you can find an FSSP parish or simply a Latin parish um, in your area, um, that would be that would be better. Okay. Um, if there's no other Latin parish around whatsoever, um, um, it, it really depends. Uh, before you go to the SSPX, I would call the diocese and and see what are the closest uh, Latin parish churches to you. Um, and again, if you go to SSPX and there are no other, you're not in sin, but but make that effort to go to another um, uh, Latin church that is not SSPX, if you can. Okay, let me see now. Um, we have... Um, 
I'm going to take a very short text. We're just coming up against the end of the program. Written anonymously, um, this person says, Hello, Mother Miriam, and God bless you. Lots. Thank you. I'm writing to you to ask about a new missile that allegedly has come from Rome and will be implemented somewhat, quotes, under the table very soon. The danger is that it changes the words of the consecration which would deem the Mass invalid. What do you know about this? Thank you for your continued labor in helping the Lord save souls. Well, I know nothing about it. Your email, your text rather, is the first I've heard of it. Uh, The words of consecration cannot be changed. If they are changed, um, a lot of things in the Mass can be changed, even a lot of its wording. But the words of consecration may not be changed, and if they are, it may well be invalid. So find out specifically what that is. See if you can get a hold of that missile. And I would love if anyone has it to send it to me or to give me a reference for it. And I'll look into it. God bless all of you. Speak with you tomorrow.